The Advent season is characterized by heightened expectation of what God holds in store for the future, affirming that the future belongs to God. Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Holy One, you are our guide and ultimate assurance. By your spirit, open us to your promises and commands and shower us again with the fire of your love. Amen. The prophet foresees a resplendent renewal of God's people. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Languishing in prison, John the Baptist wonders if Jesus is indeed the one for whom they've been waiting. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, 
Among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Hello friends. I'm hunkered down here in my home office because of a non-COVID related illness that's kept me out of the city this week. But I still wanted to share with you on the third Sunday of Advent and continue the second part of John the Baptist story, who has now landed in prison. His preaching and organizing offended the authorities. Unlike a lot of us preachers today who would love an invitation to the White House and a chance to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom, rubbing shoulders with the powerful, John had the habit of irritating the politically powerful. He's been stirring up trouble for the puppet King Herod who had taken his brother's wife as his own. John lambasted Herod at every opportunity. Evidently, it was quite a scandal. And John was popular with the people. They listened to him. They took him seriously. Jesus took him seriously. Remember, it was John who baptized Jesus in the Jordan. Now, John's been thrown into prison. He had kept up his tirades against the powerful hypocrite who could no longer tolerate John's populist influence. Today, we might call him a political prisoner. As you know, Jesus will follow a similar path. He'll wind up an enemy of the state as well. For now, John sits in prison and with a lot of time on his hands, begins to wonder if he's got it right. John questions whether Jesus is the right guy after all, which makes a lot of sense. This is one of those poignant human moments in the gospel story. John, the colorful, tough-talking advanced man for Jesus, now in a very, very tough spot, has a few doubts. He needs a little reassurance. So he sends his friends to ask Jesus directly about whether or not John should pin his hope on him. You know, I like this interlude in the gospel plot quite a lot because I can identify with John here. Would it surprise you if I said that from time to time I've doubted? Like John, I cast my fate and my life with God now more than 40 years ago. But once in a while, when the circumstance has squeezed me hard, I've cried out in confusion and doubt. So, in a manner of speaking, I sent out my messages and eventually got a few answers. Not always the answers I expected, often not as complete as I preferred, but answers just the same. Enough so that I can speak with integrity and announce the good news of God's amazing grace. I would go so far as to tell you that over the years, my doubts have served me very well. I've come to see them as servants of hope. Often we think of our doubts as the antithesis of hope, but in thinking that we fail to take account of the yearning behind the questions, the anticipation and forward momentum in deep, even anguished and authentic asking, railing, doubting. By the way, by authentic, I mean a true desire to know, because 
Sometimes we don't really want to know when we say we do want to know. We prefer a bit of pretense, prefer staying looped up in questions because real answers will demand a response. Answers put us on the line. Now, sincere doubt generally results from a conflicted or confusing present circumstance. We want to know that our current situation has meaning, purpose, direction. We want today to matter. And we sense that it will if hope leads us forward into the future. I can endure my present if I have the right bead on the future. Doesn't that seem the basis for John's question from prison? As though he's figuring that he can endure as a political prisoner if he can count on Jesus being the real deal? Listen to this. Hopeful faith reveals that the future belongs to God. That's one way of summing up the entire scriptural witness from generation from Genesis to Revelation. Fear not, all things cohere in God, and you, you are the apple of God's eye. Isn't that what we'll hear the angel Gabriel announce to Mary in the days ahead? Fear not, Mary, the future belongs to God. Embrace your present circumstance. The story will tell us that an angel also visits Joseph, who sincerely doubted the decision he made about Mary. The angel proclaims, fear not, Joseph, the future belongs to God. And so together, hand in hand, accepting their situation as it is, Mary and Joseph walk into their future together, which in the near term will only take them to the town of Bethlehem where there will be no room for them at the end. Note that this idea, the future belongs to God, is a much bigger thing to claim than, say, social security will remain solvent, or the economy will escape recession, or one day you'll find a loving partner, or that your health will be restored following a major crisis, even though these are all very positive potential eventualities. The fact remains that one day our health will fail us one day. Even so, in here we say, fear not, the future belongs to God. Trusting God with our future has the direct opposite effect of escape from the present. Radical trust allows us to thrust ourselves into the moment living it as though it were our last, freeing us to do what must be done, to see the truth and to act accordingly. This trust is the mother of profound hope and drives every worthwhile human cause. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., another one-time political prisoner of more recent vintage, quote, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope, unquote. Hope of this sort drives the present into a transforming future because, as King clearly learned standing beside Bethlehem's manger, the future is God's. It always has been. It always will be. God's future holds the hope for justice and peace and forgiveness and reconciliation and love. That's the message of Advent. You know, I've now been preaching for about 44 years, get that. 
If you were to ask which season of the year is the hardest for me, I'd tell you this one. There are a number of reasons for this, but chief among them is the overwhelming sense as December comes round of been there, done that, which seems to build as the years pile up. The story can seem overly familiar, our behaviors predictable, and the themes cliche. But lest you think I've turned into a crabby Christmas curmudgeon, I've discovered something very important despite the repetition. The profound message of hope the ancient story holds for the ages sounds brand spanking new every single year. That's because at least 364 days have passed since the last time we were reminded. 364 days of getting up, going about our business, tuning into the news, confronting startling information and fresh personal crises. 364 opportunities to forget what force binds the world together, keeps the universe humming and inflates our lungs with breath. At least 364 opportunities to doubt that God is dependable for one reason or another. So every year in the middle of December, you'll hear me say this, fear not, the future belongs to God. In part, as I've said, I announce it for selfish reasons. I admit it because depending on the year or my circumstance, I could feel like John locked up in some prison of one sort or another, wondering if I've thrown in my lot with the right crowd. Then the words of Isaiah seem like water for a very thirsty man. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. That's the message of Advent. Tell me you don't need the reminder. I have shared this story from time to time from early in my career. And I also shared it in this year's Advent devotional booklet. I guess the young woman who had come to see me one December was in her mid-twenties. She was very pregnant. As she spilled out her story, tears welled in her eyes. She had fallen in love. The young man had spoken of enduring commitment, but when he discovered they had conceived a child, he fled, leaving her very alone. Her parents were gone. She had been an only child. She was it as far as her family. With some bitterness, she added, she had always been a survivor, ambitious and tenacious. When she first learned of her pregnancy, she was thrilled with the news. Though devastated by the abandonment of the man she thought had loved her, even then she decided she wanted this child. But now, with less than a month to go, she had fallen into a deep depression. She had lost hope, she said. She thought she had believed in God. Now she wasn't sure, wasn't sure things hung together in a meaningful way. Because of the time of the year, it came to me to remember with her the story of another young single pregnant woman who conceived and delivered a baby boy in dangerous days. Back then, pregnant and unmarried might warrant a stoning. 
I myself was young and inexperienced at the time, so I didn't offer a lot of pious advice. We just talked about the old story for a few minutes. She knew it well, of course. But she had never really thought very hard about the unsentimental facts. An unwed pregnant teenager in ancient Palestine, constrained by the politics and customs of the day, forced to deliver her child under difficult circumstance. My young friend had never really connected the dots between the gritty facts of her own life and the reality of God. In Advent, we're invited to consider what life might be like if we actually trusted God's future for our lives. There's no prediction in this that life will be particularly easy or free from suffering. But it does predict that any present circumstance can be embraced with confidence because the future remains secure. It belongs to God. That's the vision that grabbed hold of Isaiah and Mary and Joseph and John and even Jesus, passed on for generations now, landing us here at this moment. The woman who walked into my office in a desperate state promised she would think about these things. 22 years later, her daughter graduated from college, the apple of her mother's eye. And the wilderness was glad and the desert rejoiced and blossomed.